1: Episode 106 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. 100 days in, Biden's kicking butt. Republicans are still crazy. Let's start the show.
0: We are now the
2: defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity.
1: I I don't know about you, but I feel great. I still feel great. By the way, I'm Chris Hahn. This is the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I've been told that I need to introduce myself at the beginning of the podcast. So I am doing that to you today. And I will try to do that more often, maybe every day, every, every day, every week. Uh, So yes, I'm Chris Hahn. I've been hosting this podcast for the last, I don't know, two years, two and a half years. Even before that, before it was like this glorious podcast distributed across all these channels, I was doing a podcast that was only on a few places. So uh, thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Hahn. Um, I feel good. Uh, Biden's going to give his 100-day speech on Wednesday night, if you're listening to this later in the week. What a great speech he gave on Wednesday night. Um, And I think he's got a lot of accomplishments to be proud of. First of all, the vaccine rollout's going great. The only thing slowing it down is maniacs who are anti-vaxxers. I'm going to get my second dose on Friday, Uh, Moderna, so I'm told be ready to be sick on Sunday. My daughter has a 9 a.m. soccer game on Saturday. So, uh, you know, might be rough, but I'm going to get through it. You know, it's one thing to be sick. It's another thing to know why you're sick. So I will know why I am sick if I get the side effects, which I guess, I don't know, a lot of people are getting it. It says only about 20% of the people are getting it, but everybody I know has gotten it that has had the Moderna uh, shot. My wife had the Moderna shot. And she's got both of her vaccines now. And she was sick for about, I would say, 12 hours uh, the day after, about 24 hours after she got the shot. So, uh, yeah, I think Saturday is going to be rough, but uh, we'll get through it. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, look, the country's going in the right direction. The economy is growing by leaps and bounds. Things are opening up. Everyone just needs to get on board and stay the course. And I'm excited that later this week, they're going to talk about mask wearing outdoors. And I think what they're going to say, and I don't know what they're going to say, but what they have been saying is if if you're not around people, you don't need to wear a mask. But if you're going to be around people, if you're going to be in a crowd for extended periods of times, wear masks. And then, you know, we can start having crowds again. If everybody just wore masks Maybe we can have 50 or 100 percent capacity at our ballparks and not have to worry about, you know, people getting sick of sick with COVID-19. Um, I, I'm looking forward to that. Really, truly looking forward to going to a baseball game. I, I, I said this before, look, I'm getting vaccinated on Friday, and I'm going to go to the movies 10 days later. I don't know what movie I'm going to see yet. I haven't decided. I'm leaning towards nobody which is a, sh- a movie about, with Bob Odenkirk playing a, uh, a, a, a hitman. And so I'm really, and, and it, it's serious. It's a serious movie. I love Bob Odenkirk. I think he's one of the most likable people uh, on television. Let's just put it that way. He plays scumbag lawyers on TV, and he is likable in that role. So I'd imagine that this is going to be a very fun movie, and I used to love Mr. Show, his comedy show that he did. On HBO many years ago. I, I just think he's a funny guy, and I think he's a good actor. And this is not a comedy, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. So, uh, uh, you know, I'll be that doing that uh, ten days after Friday, and uh, then I'm going to travel as soon as they let me. And and we saw today uh, that the EU is suggesting that Europe will be open to Americans this summer because we're doing so well with our vaccination program here. Look at that, amazing. Yet somehow. There are people in this country that are less than satisfied with Biden. Now, look, if you look at the polls, he's getting extremely hard mark, high marks on his handling of COVID-19. He's in the 70s. It kind of reminds me of Superman 2, the original series of Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. Gene Hackman plays Lex Luthor in Superman 2. He plays it in Superman 1 and 2 II and 3, I believe, actually. But in Superman 2, General Zod comes to Earth, right, and he's causing all sorts of ha- havoc. And at the end of the movie, Superman shows up, and Lex Luthor goes, "Superman, thank God!" Like I-, I look at the former guy's supporters as Lex Luthor, they they know that General Zod, the former guy, you know, in this scenario, the former guy is Lex is 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 is, the- is General Zod. They know that he's bad for them. So when Joe Biden showed up, they're like, thank God, at least on the pandemic side, right? Thank God somebody's going to deal with this. Thank God. And he has. He's been dealing with it. And we're going to move forward and we're going to move on. But Republicans are still crazy. And I have a great guest to talk about it today. Reed Gallon from the Lincoln Project. He's one of the original founders of the Lincoln Project. Uh, we're going to talk about what's wrong with the Republican Party. Over the weekend, Liz Cheney was asked what she would do if, if Donald Trump ran for president again. I, I used his name. I know I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, and and she said he wouldn't. she wouldn't vote for him. And they lost their minds over it. They, Republicans lose their mind over it. What do you mean if he's a nominee, you're not going to vote for him? What are you going to do? As if a Democrat could win Wyoming. Uh, give me a break. There is no Republican Party left for Liz Cheney. There's no Republican Party left for Mitt Romney. There's no Republican Party left For Lisa Murkowski why these people stay in that party drives me mad now I don't know that they're going to come over to become Democrats I know a lot of people in the Lincoln Project I actually didn't get into this with Reed in my interview with him but I know I've talked to others in the Lincoln Project and they have left the Republican Party for good they're never coming back I don't know that they have become Democrats but they have surely left the Republican Party so I don't know why Liz Cheney and these others stay there other than they think that they might be able to change it or that this fever that is rising within that party is going to break at some point And they will go back to being the country club Republicans that I used to just you know, debate with and have differences of opinions on how government should work. But I didn't think that they were trying to overturn our republic like the former guy and his supporters were. I, I don't see that happening. In fact, you know, you look what's going on in, in states around this country where they're passing anti-protest laws, which will allow people to run people over in crowds in, in, in Iowa and in Florida. They passed laws that will allow motorists to basically run people over who are in protests if they fear for their lives. I mean, you think the Charlottesville guy would have used that as a defense? I bet you he would have. Or he, you know, I... I they're passing laws like that. We've got this fake audit going on in Arizona, which is only being monitored by one media outlet. Can you guess which one? It, nope, you're wrong. It's not Fox News because they actually do have a news side. No, it's OAN that is monitoring the Arizona audit. The one station I don't think I don't think OAN actually called Arizona for, for, uh, for Biden yet. I think they're still holding out. I think it's still you know too close to call in their book on OAN, but that's what's going on. They, they hired a major supporter of the former guy to perform an audit, and they're not letting any news media monitor the audit. Yeah, that's real transparency. That shows you that you know you're full of it. Not only that, by the way, let me, let me explain something else to you in this audit that they're doing. They're only auditing Democratic counties, counties that Joe Biden won. And they're only auditing the presidential election and the U.S. Senate election. They're not auditing the elections that put most of them in office because Republicans actually did hold on to the state legislature in Arizona, very much unfortunately in this country. So, I, you know, they're still crazy and they're. I feel like they're getting crazier. I thought that the spell would lift once the witch was dead like they do in, you know, in the fairy tales. But no, the spell has not lifted. In fact, I feel like the spell has gotten worse. That they are absolutely worse. I see Kevin McCarthy still bending the knee to this guy. He's never going to be Speaker of the House. Never going to be Speaker of the House. Let me, you save this podcast. Okay, just save this podcast. Kevin McCarthy will never be Speaker of the House. Even if Republicans take back the Congress, the House of Representatives in uh, 2022. He won't be Speaker. They're going to go with some crazy uh there you know he then he even as bad as he is and he's bad don't get me wrong as bad as he is he's not crazy enough for the 135 members who voted with the sedition caucus to not accept the votes in the election the electoral votes so yeah good luck with that keep bending the knee keep being a weak human being When you should be strong in your position, keep selling out this country because you want a bigger office with a better view in the Capitol. You really are pathetic, Kevin McCarthy, absolutely pathetic. And when they toss you out, as they did six years ago, rightfully so, because you said the quiet part out loud about why you were uh, why you were supporting all of these voter suppression initiatives around the country because you said the quiet part out loud they couldn't make you speak or six or eight years ago I can't remember six years ago eight years ago whenever it was passed over in 2015 when John Boehner decided that he had enough <laughs> if you're gonna get passed over again I, I don't know who it's gonna be maybe Steve Scalise will whip you in the back he is the whip but it'll be somebody else Steve Scalise they'll go for Steve Scalise right he's David Duke without the baggage so that's probably who they're gonna go with right He'll be smart enough to whip the votes to be speaker, and crazy enough for the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, uh, the Lauren Boeberts, the 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 maniac caucuses. So let's just, you know, keep keep you know bending the knee to the former guy and to all the crazies in your caucus. It doesn't matter. You're not going to be speaker. Save this tape. All right, Reed Gallon's going to join me on the other side of this break. Great guy. This is his second time on the show. I don't think I've talked to him since. I'm thinking it was last summer. Uh, so check it out. Uh, and then I'll be back to wrap up the show. Joining me now, the Lincoln Project has been inspirational in some of the ads it's put out over the course of the 2020 election. And they continue to impress with their advocacy to try to change the right party in this country uh reed gallant is one of the original members founding members of the lincoln project he's been on this show before and he joins me now reed how you doing i'm well thanks for having me oh man i really do appreciate you coming on and everything that you've been doing and uh, i haven't talked to you since well before the 2020 election and i just wanted to catch up with what the lincoln project's been up to uh since the fall of uh, the former guy uh
2: yeah well you know um As you probably saw, we had uh, we we made some news, uh, unfortunately, back in February. And so, you know, we've uh, we've uh, you know, we're tan rested and ready for the fight now. So, um, you know, it's just it's been, uh, I would say, an unprecedented time since you and I talked. I mean, we had the election, obviously. We had, uh, you know, an attempted coup. Um, You know, the first non-peaceful transition of power in the country's history. Amazing. Uh, And we've seen since January 6th, uh, the Republican Party, unfortunately, has gotten far worse, uh, not better. Uh, And so I think it's just... You know, the, the stakes, I think, have increased even since Trump, Donald Trump left office.
1: And more so more reason to have people that are former, you know, I guess, traditional Republicans and 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 definitely former. You've all made it very clear you are no longer Republicans because the Republican Party is broken. My question for you is, you know, when you see people in the Republican Party who are trying to hold it together in the mode of, say, a George Herbert Walker Bush uh, but it's clear that that party is no longer exists. Why do you think they stay?
2: Um I think there's, you know, there's a number of reasons. One is some maybe folks have worked long and hard uh, you know, for Republican causes over the decades uh and don't want to give it up. I think some are just flat out in denial. Um and you know, some want to believe it's not as bad as they think it is. Um that somehow you know the, the the tenets of individual liberty. It's lower taxes. Um, you know, strong national defense. Um, you know, limited government. And,
1: and none of which none of which happened in the four years that Donald Trump was president. He didn't abide by any of those Certainly tenets, not. right?
2: No, and 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 you know, frankly, it was one of those things where it was all it was always it was always better on paper than it ever was in reality.
1: True. So. True, true. I don't I don't think any president ever really, truly did that. Uh, but then you throw in the uh, the the, you know, in bed with Russia and not believing in the core values of our republic. And and I don't I don't like I don't understand how like Elisa Murkowski, for example, who doesn't need the Republican Party to get reelected. She's already proven that uh, when she had to run a write in campaign a couple of uh, I think two terms ago. Um, I don't know why she stays. I don't know why Liz Cheney stays when she's clearly going to get primaried. I don't, I don't get the, this, I, I think when you, when you hit on it is there's a state of denial, uh, for some of these people that it's not as bad as it is. And and then you see things like Marjorie Taylor Greene coming out with the white Anglo-Saxon caucus.
2: Right. Which is, um, you know, on, on the Lincoln project podcast this week, we were, I had a guest and we were talking about that. I said for the first time since she took office, Kevin McCarthy actually disagreed with her publicly. And the guest said it's because she actually told the truth. And, and you know, don't tell the truth out loud. And, yeah. you know, if if you read the the um, America First Caucus policy plan, yeah, Chris, it is it is um, breathtaking in its honesty um, and in it's, you know, white ethno nationalism. It's, it's hard to believe anybody would ever put those words on paper seriously. Uh, but I guess we shouldn't be surprised anymore.
1: I, I, I mean, I wasn't surprised at all. Um, you know, the, what surprises me is that there are so many Republicans who are not uh, Anglo-Saxon who didn't rebuke it. Um, You know, where are they? Where are the Jewish Republicans in Congress? Where are the uh, Republicans of Latino descent? Where's Ted Cruz on this? You know, I mean, what where, where was his statement of outrage? Uh,
2: well, look, I mean, I think that they're all in it together now. Uh, it has ceased, as we were just talking about a moment ago. It has ceased to be a political movement based on any sort of ideological framework and now is simply a vehicle by which people can attain and retain power. Uh, achieve personal wealth and self-aggrandizement. And we have a word for groups like that. And it's not a political party. It's more akin to a gang.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's clear. That is clear that they are gang. And I think that's been a lot of what you and the Lincoln Project have been pushing back against with some of the ads you've uh, been creating and some of the commentary you've been doing both on your podcast and what I see various uh, members of your group uh, commentating publicly. Uh, which is surprises, su- surprises me that there is still some of this kind of pushback from traditional media on the Lincoln Project.
2: Well, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, used, I guess, a bad analogy. If you're not if you're not on the left or you're not on the right uh, in American politics, but you, you you float somewhere in the middle just because that's where you are you're liable to get run over by people going both ways. And I think we've seen that. Yep. Um, you know, I think uh, obviously we there's no doubt in our mind that, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that you've seen about us, um, you know, lots of blind quotes, lots of oppo drops, um, you know, comes from the, the Trump in, in the Trump world, right? They, they singularly uh, blame us for their misfortune last November. Look, I mean, we took from them the most powerful position humanity's ever created. And the and the authority and the potential wealth and riches that come with it. So I think they're pretty upset. And then there's some, you know, folks on the left who I think were not likely happy uh, with with the work that we did and the way we did it. And probably some of the um, notoriety we achieved because of it. Um, You know what? We were effective. Um, We've we've taken our lumps and, you know, we're still in the fight and we're not going anywhere.
1: Hey, your ads were good. You know, I mean, it's just that simple. I mean, if people made as good of ads, they would. I I think this comes down to people don't like to compete anymore in America. Everybody wants to talk about competition. They want to talk about, you know, uh, the system being capitalist, but nobody wants a competitor, And when they see a competitor and they say, wait a minute, that's my turf. I'm supposed to be raising money for people who hate the former guy. Why are they raising money from people who hate the former guy? You got media outlets saying, wait a minute, why aren't people subscribing to my ridiculous commentary when they're, you know, giving money uh, to you guys to make ads and they get mad and they write about it. And I think that's, I think it comes down to that. I feel it all the time.
2: Well, look, I mean, uh, uh, 80% 80 of all the money that we have raised since we started, and remember, we only launched in December of 2019, right? So we've been around less than a year and a half uh, has come from people who give us $50 or less. Um, So anyone who wants to complain about the fact that, um, you know, we are raising money, you know, we, we get money from wealthy individuals. We also get money from, you know, everyday Americans who believe in the cause and, you know, we can't say thank you enough to those folks.
1: And it's a good cause. Look, I think that uh, I, I think that there are there. Look, there are people who are going to hear the message coming from you better than they're going to hear it coming from me, right? I worked for Chuck Schumer. You worked for Dan Quayle. There's a very big gap between our experiences in life, right? Uh, and 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 they sh- they at one point in time trusted Dan Quayle. They they trusted George Bush. They trusted the people you worked for in your your you know you have people on your team who worked for McCain, who have worked for every Republican, uh, nationally known Republican. Over the last twenty years, pre-Trump Republican, so getting the message from you, I think, actually carries a lot more weight than getting it from me. It's my job. They think to be partisan.
2: Yeah, well, listen. Just on the Quail front, remember there was my dad that worked for him. I went to I went to elementary school with Quail's kids.
1: Ah, sorry, Reed. Sorry about that. <laughs>
2: sorry. <laughs> Wrong gallon. But, uh, <laughs> but but your your point is well taken. Your point is well taken. I mean that's that's the thing is that we come from. We come from a place both politically and, I guess, at one point ideologically, but also strategically and tactically that we are, um, you know, you know, it's it is a sad statement of affairs that when you come up in Republican politics, the first, second and third idea when it comes to campaigns is win. Yeah. Right. Well,
1: um, but I, think I think that's I think that's the way in any any political party. I, I you know, I mean, I, I never been on a campaign right. where we wanted to lose. Yeah. So.
2: So no, but you know there's a difference between wanting to lose and doing what it will take regardless of the tactics employed to be victorious.
1: I hear that. All right, Reed, we're talking about the need to kind of convince regular Americans that the path that the right is taking in this country is 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 doomed to fail uh, or doomed to destroy this country one way or one way or the other if it, if it is successful, which I don't think it will be. Reed, I'm sure you've been watching all of the uh, really circle of madness going on with some of the right wing pundits like Tucker Carlson and others. I- I'd love to hear your thoughts on where you think that's coming from.
2: Uh, look, I think it all comes from the same place that we were talking about in the last segment with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and the, and the white Anglo-Saxon caucus. Mm. Um, you know, it's the, the Republican Party has devolved. Uh, precipitously into a, a small d anti-democratic authoritarian party. Mm. Um, I think we're seeing that with its willingness to, again, uh, bring violence back into the political lexicon in America with what we saw in January 6th. Yep. We're seeing it now with these uh, with these voter laws across the country that are making it more difficult for people to vote, uh, changing the rules on how to vote. The, the point of all this is to increase what I call the friction between an individual and their ability to cast a ballot, especially among people in communities of color. And now we see these quote unquote anti-riot bills being. I
1: I mean, those bills are ridiculous. Like where they're talking about, you know, they're they're trying to ban people from protesting around the country in red states. Well,
2: well, not only that, not only banning people from protesting, but doing things like giving those who might drive their car into a group of protesters immunity. Yeah, I I don't, uh, you know, it's not just that they're doing it. It's the speed with which it's happening that I think is appalling. Uh, I, I have a hard time believe, believing that any of this will uh, you know, hold, you know, a, a hold up to a First Amendment challenge. Right. Uh, but it's certainly their willingness to stifle the ability of people to vote and stifle those voices. Um, You know, there was just the, you know, the Sasha Baron Cohen movie that I just watched on Netflix, uh, The Chicago 7. Oh,
1: I you know, thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say Borat, which I make a uh, a well, special Borat, p- appearance in, by the way.
2: <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, either way, you know, he's he's got it on both sides of, of, of the political coin this year. Um, but, you know, those were seven individuals, eight, um, you know, if you count... Uh, if you count uh, the Black Panther leader yep. uh, who were accused of inciting a riot in, in 1968, Chicago. Um, now they're basically saying, you know, you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time and charged with three or four felonies.
0: Yeah, so is... I think
2: it's, it's a very dangerous time. And, we're, you know, we're, we're going back, you know, the idea that people say, well, you can't use the expression new Jim Crow. No, I think you very much can. And I think we should.
1: Yeah, I think we might need even better expression because new Jim Crow sounds too nice. It's horrible what's going on in this country right now. And it's just it's being done with speed and precision. Uh, You know, Jim Crow was heavy handed and people were looking the other way Uh, and it was horrible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say it it was good. It was horrible. Uh, But what's going on right now is kind of like techno Jim Crow. It's, It's just ridiculous.
2: Well, it is, and we shouldn't underestimate the intent of all of this. Right? Is 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 to chill political speech, uh, and to chill political action. Yeah. All of it in the service of a of a party that, unfortunately, uh, you know, does not even attempt to care about the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. It certainly doesn't care about governance.
1: Right. They can't compete. Uh, Just like we were talking before about some media outlets getting mad that you're raising money. Uh, this is the same thing going on with Republicans around this country. They can't compete for votes, so they're trying to change the competition. And they're basically preying on the fears of, of you know, older white men who feel they can't compete in the marketplace with all of these new people who are now being elevated to the same status where they have equal opportunity to compete.
2: Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I saw – uh, you know, there was there's all this talk, um, you know, whether or not it's about expanding the Supreme Court, which I think is worth the debate. And I haven't thought about it enough in my own head. Right. Whether or not that's uh, elevating Washington, D.C. to statehood, Puerto Rico to statehood. And now there's this this refrain amongst uh, the right and the sort of conservative constellation of, well, the founders didn't intend. Right. Right. Well, the founders didn't intend Barack Obama to be president. Right. The founders didn't intend, uh, you know, African-Americans to vote. The founders didn't
1: intend women to vote. They never uh, would have had Amy Coney Bryant on the Supreme Court. I'll tell you that right now.
2: Right. So this whole idea of like, oh, well, now we want to be strict, strict constructionists is a, is playing fast and loose. certainly with the Constitution, a document which to them is just one more old piece of paper.
1: And my producer just reminded me it's Amy Coney Barrett. I always call her Bryant. I don't know why. Williams Jenning Bryant. I don't know. There's something about that. <laughs> uh, but it is, it, it, it yeah, the founders didn't intend, and these guys never understand what the founders intended one way or the other. They always just decide what they want. Uh, they always decide what they want is what the founders intended. So I don't pay any attention to them, especially when they you know they call themselves strict constructionists of the Constitution. And they have proven over the last four years that that, that doesn't mean anything.
2: No, it, it doesn't, and that's the whole point, is that, you know, whether whether they like it or not, and often they don't, amendments to the Constitution are the Constitution. And so whether or not that's the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, 19th right. Amendment, whatever the case might be, um, those things are the law of the land. Um, and now we see that, you know, it's, it's interesting that if you read um, Marjorie Taylor Greene's, you know, screed, it talks about, you know, restoring— Tenth Amendment states' rights, uh, but then also making sure that, you know, we go back to a white Anglo-Saxon cultural educational system in this country. Well, how are you going to do that in a place where you have states like New York, California, Illinois, you know, where those states are not going to abide by that from uh, from an educational perspective, the educational systems of those states notwithstanding? The point is, is like you want to be in charge of the things you want to be in charge of, and you want to be left alone when it suits your purposes. And so there's, you know, again, it's not about it's not about any, you know, sort of culture uh, to the extent that it it you know brings
1: power to certain people and deprives it of others. So facing all this and we see how clear their intent is to stymie participation in our democracy, how do you think people like Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema justify keeping the filibuster around, which basically will assure that these states have the ability to limit people's access to voting.
2: Um, I, I, you know, I hate to say this because I'd like to believe that they're, they're doing it out of some belief in some Senate rule. You want right. to talk about the constitution that we kind filibuster's filibuster is not the
1: constitution. Not at all.
2: Um, I think it comes from the fact that Joe Manchin lives in a red state and Kristen Sinema lives in a purple state.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: That they are afraid of, um, you know, maybe primary challenges in their states, but certainly uh, tough re-election fights. And they do it because they have, you know, pretty conservative constituents. I I would be almost more appreciative if they were just honest about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, when Joe Manchin talks about well, we should really have a discussion about a 28% corporate tax rate versus a 25% corporate tax rate. Like, he's having that discussion, Joe. Right. It's not what the discussion's about. Uh, The discussion's about whether or not we're going to make sure that, you know, a Voting Rights Act that was gutted in 2013 by the Supreme Court is going to be put back in place. Now, should H.R. 1 and the For the People Act, should those things have vigorous debates to make sure that what we actually need gets through. I think we should. I agree. Uh, but the idea that somehow we're just going to say, no, 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 no. The, the filibuster has protected us all these years. I mean, let's be clear. Mitch McConnell retakes the Senate. He will do whatever it is he believes it takes yep. uh, to ensure that Joe Biden doesn't have a successful second two years in office. He's
1: already he's already shown that that he's capable of doing that. So talking about voting rights and the 2022 election coming up, uh, obviously, we, we would hope that H.R. 1, the For the People Act, the John Lewis Voting uh, Rights Advancement Act all become law. But being that the filibuster appears to be a hurdle to that, highly unlikely. A lot of people are concerned about redistricting going forward and how the Republicans might just be able to recapture the, 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 the House by redrawing the lines. Uh, I'm sure you've thought about this and, and have a lot of thoughts on it. So, you know, uh, you know, what, what's your take here?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, look, I think that it's, you know, it's a very narrow house right now with five, six seats, whatever it is. And, um, you know, history is not on the Democrat side next year. Uh, only three times in the last 120 years as a president whose party is in power uh, retained or picked up seats uh, in that president's first midterm. The last time was George W. Bush in 2002, uh, which is, was in the wake of not only a very aggressive uh, redistricting effort, uh, but also in the wake of nine eleven, And yep. yeah, I mean, Texas picks up three seats in reapportionment. I think Florida will pick up one. Arizona will pick up one. Um, and so, you know, I think that we should not be under any illusion that Republicans are very, very good at this. They're very good at the state level. We should never. They are. To make that.
1: They're very good uh, and they're ruthless. They will cut. They, they will they will dump all the Democrats into one district and, you know, make Texas a state that has uh, 31 uh, Republicans if they can.
2: If they can, and now you have a six to three Supreme Court at the federal level, uh, a court that even when it was five four, uh, led by John Roberts, was very hesitant to get into individual states, uh, you know, map drawing efforts. And so, yeah, I, I think that you know, between history and re, uh, reapportionment and redistricting, you know, you could make an argument that Democrats maybe start aren't up five, but start down five. Yeah. Um, and I tell you, you know. What worries me is a, a Kevin, a Kevin McCarthy in the speaker's chair is a very bad thing for all of us, Republican, Democrat and otherwise, because now you've got uh, the leader of, you know, again, an anti-Democratic party sitting with significant authority, whether or not that is um, in, in what legislation can come forward or not uh, investigations. And, uh, you know, we've been right along a lot over the past 14, 15 months, and we've been called alarmists. It would not surprise me if they impeach someone like a Kamala Harris for their own purposes.
1: Oh, I would. I would. would, They're going to impeach away. They will be impeaching everyone they can get their hands on. And quite Uh, frankly, I'll I'll tell you this, Reid. I'll make this prediction. I don't think he's going to be the Speaker of the House. I think the Republicans will choose somebody a little bit further to the crazy, uh, not further to the right.
2: Look, I mean, you absolutely could be. I mean, we know that there were again, there's 200 some Republican members of the House. Um at least 139 of those, I think, voted not to certify the a, a free and fair election in twenty twenty. You're absolutely right. I mean, I mean Kevin McCarthy's got to do all he can to maintain that post. That's why you see him run tomorrow a lago to,
0: Mar-a-Lago to yep. the knee.
2: That's why you see that he won't take a Matt Gates off of the Judiciary Committee. Why he, you know, again, we talked about Marjorie Taylor Green. He has gone out of his way not to say anything bad about her. Unbelievable. Warren Bobert. Ghosts are all of these nuts who don't belong, you know, as dog catchers, let alone members of Congress. You're, you're, you very well
1: could be right. And someone yeah, you could see a Jim Jordan a becoming strategy. Speaker of the House, a, a, a jacket list yeah. Speaker of the House. Who who would have thought?
2: <laughs> right, <laughs> Maybe he'll wear his he'll wear his wrestling togs.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe we could have all the boy every 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 one of his uh, students who he covered up sexual assault with. They should be seated in the gallery. Uh, during the state of the Union
2: <laughs> yeah you know what it's it's it, it's a great point Chris and one that I hadn't really considered uh, but I think one that we should take into account that yeah I mean as bad as Kevin McCarthy could be he might be the least bad option as yeah a Republican as yeah a speaker's chair
1: yeah I I find it hard to believe that that guy's going to be Speaker of the House he's first of all he's gutless he lost it once before because he's a dope uh back when Republicans actually cared about image uh, you know he lost it back right. then, um, and I feel he's going to lose it again. I just think that's going to happen, and uh, we'll see. I, I'm actually hoping that one of these great candidates that are lining up to run against him in California in the new district that will be his uh, will have a chance to defeat him. But you never know. I, Bakersfield's a pretty conservative part of California, so uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But I do think the Democrats have a chance to maybe pick up seats in the Senate. Which would be good, but of course, if they lose the house, it's uh, it's it's like the gift of the Magi.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, for all of the for all of our hopes and aspirations that Republicans were going to lose seats in 2020, and ultimately, uh, did you know? Uh, but just barely. Um, 2022 is a is a tougher map for Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. Um, but you know, still got to go out and run the races. The advantage I think that Democrats have is that this this primary field is shaping up to be the wackiest one the Republicans have, have had since 2010. Yeah. Um, remember, that was the Tea Party wave with the lady who wasn't a witch and a whole yep. bunch of other people. Yeah. Um, Second
1: Amendment remedies woman running against uh, uh, Leader Reed.
2: Right. And look, you've got the, um, I mean, the Missouri Senate primary for Roy Blunt's seat is going to be insane. Uh, I think Ohio could be insane. It looks like. Herschel Walker could be freezing the field in Georgia for a Republican Senate primary there because Trump is saying, you know, go run. I mean, they go back to the New Jersey generals. Right. So, um, you know, so it it could be. And this is really where I think you see we put an ad out um, uh, today uh, called Truth List, which is really highlighting the fight between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and the fact that McConnell wants Trump to stay out of his business. Uh, But it's sort of a can't live with him, can't live without him because Trump owns the party yeah, and he raises the vast majority of the money. And so he's not going to stay out of these Senate races. He's going to try and primary a John Thune out in South Dakota. Uh, He'll push against Lisa Murkowski out in Alaska. So, you know, Trump and, and McConnell will be at loggerheads again. And you know, from our perspective, the the this is not a fight about ideology. It's cer- it's just a fight about resources, right? It's yeah, control the money. Trump
1: is it's becoming a- uh, Trump is becoming like Rebecca on Ted Lasso. You know, just saying, I don't know if you saw it. If you haven't, you should. Sure. Apple TV. I don't want to show for it. They're not a sponsor of mine or anything, but it was a damn good no, show. A great show.
2: A great <laughs> show. And, and one most needed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I I was like getting choked up every episode. Oh, Somebody doing the right thing all the time. Love it. <laughs> so it's right. like, doesn't happen to All right, Reed, I'm running out of time with you. This has been a great uh, conversation. Love what you're doing at the Lincoln Project. Best to everybody over there. Anything you want to plug in the last 30 seconds? I got you.
2: No, just I hope you'll follow me at Reed Galen on Twitter and tune into the Lincoln Project podcast. We're out twice a week. Uh, you know, download it wherever you find your favorite podcast and give us a five star rating.
1: There you go. Reed Galen, one of the top guys at the Lincoln Project, one of the original members of the Lincoln Project. Reed, I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with me today. All right, I hope you like Reed. Check out his podcast. I should do what he does. Can you please give me five stars if you like this podcast? If you don't like it, you you don't have to give me anything. Don't rate me at all. But if you like it, five stars. I get a lot of... uh, Every time I have somebody from the Lincoln Project on, and this is my third time having somebody from the Lincoln Project on, I've also had Anthony Scaramucci and some other Republicans on, but I don't have crazy former guy Republicans, right? I don't have people who are trying to overthrow the government. I have people who have a different point of view on how government should work. Now, I don't always agree with their point of view, but I do believe it's important in America for you to have two, at least two points of view, reasonable points of view, so that you can get to the truth, right? You want to bring everybody along. This country is not far left or far right. It 90% of this country is right in the middle of the road. So we want to bring everybody, not maybe not 90% anymore. I don't I don't know what the percentage is anymore. 50%. Most people are middle of the road in this country. And we need to bring them all along. And you're never going to bring them all along with just one set of ideas. You need multiple sets of ideas and you need a compromise. And maybe nobody's happy. And that's how you know it's a great deal. I know it's a cliche, but that's the truth. And that's how it used to work. When I worked in the US Senate, we made deals. And it wasn't even that long ago. It was, it, you know, it wasn't even that long ago. Things have gone off the rail. You know, I, I saw Newt Gingrich talking about traditional American values on uh, Fox News last week. Now, I don't know what's traditional about serving your wife with divorce papers while she's recovering from cancer surgery in the hospital. Um, and then going off and marrying one of your staffers who you were already engaged in an affair with while your wife was suffering from cancer. I don't know what's traditional about that, but I will tell you this about Newt Gingrich. He is a whiny little baby because when he was running for president in 2012 in the Republican primary, he was on a show that I was on right before I went on. He was via remote and I was in studio and I was watching his interview with the host. I was actually in the studio Getting ready to comment on his interview, and he talked about traditional family values, and he was trying to, you know, make it seem like President Obama, a man who I I've counted his wives, there's only one, um, and, and and two kids, seems like a pretty you know, if you want to talk about a traditional family, seems pretty traditional to me. I mean, other than the fact that he became president of the United States and they're both Harvard lawyers, but traditional. <laughs> right. And I hear this guy, this trice married guy who who did this to his 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 former wife. And, and I come on in the next segment and I go, I really don't want to hear. From Newt Gingrich, a man who served his dying wife with divorce papers while she li- lied in her hospital bed, do you know that of all the times I've said things on television and and, and some things that were maybe not as accurate as they should be. The only person ever to call me up and ask me to correct myself was Newt Gingrich. His campaign called me and said, um, she didn't die. That was their correction. She didn't die. Oh, I, I stand corrected, I said to them. I didn't go on TV and correct it, but every time I've mentioned it since, I have made sure to make sure to say that she was not dying in the hospital because she ultimately didn't die. Of the cancer. I guess when she got served with the divorce papers, she got a new lease on life and she was ready to take on the world knowing she didn't have that fat windbag wrapped around her ankle anymore. I mean, give me a break. Of all the people to give advice about this, of all the people for the former guy to appoint ambassador to the Vatican. I mean, and look, I am not, I am a lapsed Catholic, right? I was born Catholic. Uh, as you many of you know, I am half Catholic, half Jewish. I was raised somewhat Catholic, then became evangelical for a little lapse. Catholic. Went to the Vatican two years ago. Was one of the most amazing things I'd ever done in my life. I still talk about it. I've, I've talked about it on this show multiple times. To have that guy, that guy, be the ambassador to the Vatican. Yes, I know that his third wife, who he was cheating on his second wife with, is a devout Catholic who thought, I I, I hear, may have thought at one point in her life to become a nun, but instead decided to go to politics and met this stunning, portly man, Newt Gingrich, who swept her off her feet because they were working long hours trying to screw America. Um, Look, why do I bring this up? I bring this up for the simple reason that Newt Gingrich is the reason we're in this mess. Newt Gingrich was the first Speaker of the House or would be Speaker of the House to nationalize congressional races, to make the choice in your congressional election about national politics more than local politics. We all know what Tip O'Neill used to say, the great Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill. All politics is local. Well, Newt Gingrich Turn that on its head. And that's where we're at today. I can't have a polyta. I can't have a conversation about local politics without talking about national politics if there's any slice of national politics on that. In fact, you're starting to see local politics behave very similar to national politics. And it should scare the hell out of you because there's no Republican or Democratic way to pave a road or plow a road when it snows. Or zone property. No, there's none of that. There's just a, you know, right for the community or wrong for the community way. And you're starting to see this nationalization of politics with that new you know, I know. Please don't write me letters and tell me I'm fat shaming him. I don't I I I'm look, he looks he's got a great head of hair. He has a bigger margin of error for hampson this handsome handsomeness than I do. But it sickens me. To see that guy go on television and talk about traditional American values. I guess traditional American values is three wives. I I, I don't find that very traditional, frankly. I really don't. Uh, And I don't know why anybody would listen to that guy for that kind of stuff. Ridiculous. It's a ridiculous statement from a ridiculous little man who's just Looking for any way to stay relevant. Well, I just gave him a little airtime, didn't I? All right. So I, uh, I really do appreciate you guys listening to this show. We're really rocking and rolling. Keep it up. Give us five stars if you rate us and tell a friend about it. And I want to remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. You might
2: be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems.